everybody, how are you? All right? Good. Um, so Mark Isles, who some of you will know, stood up a minute ago and is resplendent in his Star Wars Christmas jumper and basically gave my talk. So that was great. <laughs> but um, it's interesting to... If you're, if you're not someone who has been around church very much, if you're not someone who, who is walking and following Jesus at the moment, this won't necessarily have happened to you. But for those of us who have, this is what God does. He, he just kind of tells people about stuff that's going on. He told me what I think he wanted to speak about, and then he told Mark what he wanted to speak out, and he also told Joe this morning. She said similar things. So, yeah, so you're getting kind of more of the same. So by more at Christmas, I didn't necessarily mean more of the same theme, but um, that's kind of what you're getting. So, anyway, that's fine. Um, so let's, let's take a slightly different tack. Um, when people think of more at Christmas, then this is normally the kind of thing that they are talking about. Apologies if you've seen this already, but it's so funny, I'm going to share it again. And of course, all the traditions now, all the traditions of Christmas, which we love. I mean, without the traditions of Christmas, Christmas, Christmas would not be what it is. But the point is, we don't really like all of them, but we pretend to because it's Christmassy. Mulled wine. Hot wine. We don't like hot wine. We spend the whole year avoiding hot wine. You know, tea, coffee, hot wine. Why are you offering me hot wine? But at Christmas, oh, I love this hot, spiced, boiled wine. Sicky, sweet wine. It smells nice. After one sip, it's quite nice. Then it starts to cool and you abandon it. No one's ever finished a mulled wine. I don't think I really finished that. Brussels sprouts. Why do we put ourselves through this annual Bush Tucker trial? We don't like them. Who decided we should be eating these squashed up vegetable fart balls every year? We don't even like turkey. We don't eat turkey all year. There's no Kentucky Fried Turkey. We don't like turkey. It's quite a dry, flavourless meat. You only have a look at what we do to it to tolerate it. Okay? We cover it in cranberry sauce and gravy. We stuff it with meat we'd rather be eating. Bread sauce? Since when was bread a sauce? <laughs> Got some bread sauce? Yes, pour that bread all over my turkey. More fart balls? Don't mind if I do. <laughs> and crackers. Who looked at Christmas lunch and said, I know what this needs, a paper hat, a bad joke, and some toenail clippers. That would really round off this year. The fact is, we wouldn't choose, okay? We wouldn't choose any of these things if we had the choice. At no time during the year would we go to a restaurant, the waiter comes over, can I uh, get you the wine list? Have you got any hot wine? Hot, hot sickly, boiled, fruity wine. Okay, that I don't like after one sip. You got any of that? Like any bread for the table? Liquid bread. Have you got liquid bread? Like someone's chewed up a loaf and put it into a jelly. I'm going to pour that over my main meal tonight. Chef special is the chicken. Have you gotten a drier, less flavoursome meat like a, like a turkey? <laughs> any side orders? Have you got any fart grenades from Belgium? Is there anything else I can get you? I think a mini sewing kit would round this off quite nicely. Oh, but actually, wait, huh? Half an hour after I've finished, I want everything again in a sandwich. Thank you. I love that video. It's awesome. So who's seen the new Star Wars film? Only like a few of you. I'm, I'm, I'm very surprised it hasn't been more of you, actually. Um, so we've been to, I'm going to come on to that in a minute. Um, we've been talking about 
uh, more life in the church. We've been talking about more hope. We've been talking about more of Jesus in our lives. We've been talking about how to hear from him more, how to pray for other people, how to see more healing, how to experience more of his presence, how to have more freedom. All of these things we've been talking about all the way through September, October, November, around about then. Um, and we've, we've been talking about that and finding a better way of, of living. Now, this message is especially important around this time of year. Um, it's especially important at Christmas because often Christmas is a wonderful thing. It's a great celebration for many, many people, and that's fantastic. And we, we love getting together. We love Christmas. We love make, giving presents. We love hanging out as a family. We love eating lots of food. You know, all of those kind of Christmas traditions. Uh, but also, for some of us, Christmas is really tough. It's a really tough time of year. We especially need more of God, more experience of God at Christmas. Because for some of us, it might be the first Christmas since something. The first Christmas since uh, our spouse passed away. The first Christmas since a parent or a child passed away. The first Christmas since a diagnosis. It can be a really tough time of year for many of us. Um, Or my first Christmas alone. My first Christmas without this or without that. And that, that's a real thing that I want to acknowledge because, because that's often where maybe, maybe the majority of people are at Christmas. Not everyone experiences Christmas um, like children do. You know? Not everyone experiences Christmas in a, in a wonderful kind of, uh, kind of way it's meant to be. So the reason this film uh, poster is up here, uh, why do people love Star Wars? For those of you who aren't Star Wars fans, you'll have to humor, me for, humor me for a minute. Um, I'm a massive Star Wars fan. Um, the reason people love Star Wars, and there will be no spoilers in this talk, just so you know, um, it's because it's a quasi-religious story about hope. That is what Star Wars is about, if you think about it. A um, couple of references. The very first Star Wars film was called A New Hope, interestingly. Um, the very last line of Rogue One, the most recent Star Wars film before this one, was, what have they brought us? And the answer was, hope. And that was the end of the film. Through the new film, if you haven't seen it yet, this is what's coming, there's, the theme of hope runs right through it. It's all about hope in desperate situations. And that's true of every Star Wars film. People love Star Wars because it is about hope. Okay. Now, we in the church have a very similar story. Maybe not quasi-religious. We have a religious story about hope. That's basically what the message of Christmas, the message of uh, following Jesus, the message of Jesus is. We have a story to tell that transcends all other stories, even Star Wars, because our hope is actually in a person, in the life and the work of Jesus. Okay. Now, at this time of year, funnily enough, and rather ironically, it is especially hard to find Jesus in Christmas. This is one of my favorite Christmas pictures, um, just because it's so confusing. Um, I'm not quite sure what on earth is going on with this person's theology, but anyway. Um, we, have, um, uh, we have a very difficult, kind of cuddly, slightly weird view of Jesus at Christmas sometimes, and, and that's basically Im- imported from um, the world and kind of the, the kind of pagan stuff around Christmas, um, kind of mixing into uh, what really is Christmas is really about. So let's strip all of that back. Let's look at uh, a not a very Christmassy bit of the Bible, and let's look at uh, how Paul saw Jesus. Um, Paul was a, for those of you who don't know, was a uh, religious scholar and leader around the same time of Jesus. We think he was born roughly the same time. He was probably roughly the same age as Jesus. Grew up in the um, the same kind of world and the same place as Jesus grew up in. We don't hear anything about him until after Jesus has died in the Bible. And we don't even know if Paul ever met Jesus personally. We think probably not, um, but we don't know. 
And uh, we, we start hearing about him because he rose to prominence as one of the foremost haters of the early Christian movement, the early followers of Jesus. In fact, he tracked people down, beat their doors down, and dragged them off and murdered them. That's what he did to, to people who, who followed Jesus. Because he was so uh, anti the teachings and the anti this movement that was springing up all around Jerusalem and the surrounding place that he was actively trying to stamp it out. Um, so, so Paul, um, after kind of doing that, he decided, he was so firm in this, that he would head off to a different city because he heard there were some followers of Jesus there and he decided he wanted to kill them. And um, on the way, he was on this road, uh, which is a road, uh, the road to Damascus. You probably know, even if you don't know um, much about the Bible, you'll, you'll have heard the road to Damascus experience. Well, this is what this comes from. What happened is that Paul basically had such a powerful encounter with Jesus that he fell off his, his donkey or his horse or whatever he was riding, and Jesus directly spoke to him. So he, um, he encountered uh, this baby. Yes, I know it's hard to believe. <laughs> but, but, the, but the Jesus that we really want to talk about is the Jesus that powerfully encountered Paul on this road. Okay, that's the Jesus I want to talk about today. Now, Paul, through much reflection, as you might imagine, considering his past experiences and his past life, spent an awful lot of time going through, I'm sure he went through a few sozos, went through some kind of inner healing, and, um, you know, kind of went and really discovered who Jesus was. And um, there's a passage in Colossians, which is a book that he wrote, uh, sorry, a letter that he wrote to the church in Colossae, Colossae, um, uh, many, many, many years later, possibly towards the end of his life, so decades later, um, that describes to that church what he thought Jesus was like. Okay, so this is a man after many decades of reflection on this experience and also the kind of teachings of Jesus and that, uh, all of that, to, to kind of come to a conclusion about who he thought Jesus was. So worth listening to. So Nicole, uh, would you mind very much coming to read that to us? So we're reading from a translation called The Message, which is kind of like a contemporary, as it would have been written, uh, translation of the Bible. So go for it. We look at this sun and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. But everything absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and it finds his purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and he holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organises and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning And leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood, that poured out down from the cross. Thanks, Nicole. Wow, that's pretty intense, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's hard to understand, yet incredible at the same time. Um, and what we're going to do is spend just a few minutes just unpacking what, he's gonna, what he said in that book. Um, so before we do that, uh, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, have I gone too far? No, I haven't. Who is this person? Admiral Lord Nelson. Where is this? Trafalgar Square in London. Okay. What, what battle does this commemorate? 
the Battle of Trafalgar, hence Trafalgar Square. When was that battle? A long time ago, I'm hearing. Anyone actually got any idea? 1805, very good. Now, most people, that wasn't hard, was it? Most people knew the answer to those questions. Why do you think most people knew the answer to those questions? Partly because that statue stands in the middle of Trafalgar Square and you cannot miss it. Um, that's part of the reason. So let's um, bear, that in co- um, bear that in mind um, and let's look at this passage. Now, the original passage that Nicole read to us uh, was written in Greek. It wasn't written in English uh, because it was written um, several, well, a couple of thousand years ago. Um, so uh, this is another translation of it, which is perhaps the, the translation that Nicole read was maybe paraphrasing slightly, glossing over some of the detail, uh, but to try and make it a bit more intelligible. This passage is a bit harder to read, but has is the closest we can get to, to the text, and it's from the English Standard Version. Um, so what's Paul doing here? Paul is, has a completely different view of Jesus to the cuddly baby that most people think he is, or the irrelevant historical figure that many other people think he is, or the sky fairy. Sometimes I hear that on the internet, which I think is completely crazy. So Paul is setting out the superiority, the supremacy, the greatness, the excellence, the distinction, the prominence, the predominance, the eminence, the importance, the prestige, the stature, the fame, the renown, and the celebrity of Jesus. That's what he is doing here. Okay, so there are three things about Jesus that Paul is stating in this passage. You might want to um, whip out on your phone or get a Bible out and actually have a look through these to find these. Paul is stating both Jesus' relationship to the world, Jesus' relationship to us, and his greatest crowning, towering achievement. Okay, so let's have a look at that. Um, so, the first bit I want to look at is the beginning. This is what it says in this particular translation. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Okay. Now the word image here is a word in Greek meaning, um, uh, the word in Greek is salem. Okay. That word could be translated as he is the statue, icon, or even idol, actually, interestingly, of the invisible God. Jesus is a, a representation of God. That's what image means in this context. Rather like that statue Um, that I showed you of Trafalgar Square, is put there so that we might remember and understand the significance of that moment in our history, and it was significant. The same way um, God put Jesus on this earth, partly to demonstrate his own significance, worth, and interest in who we are as uh, the human race. So uh, the image, the statue, or even the idol of God. Um, Now, okay, so that's his relationship um, to God. What's his relationship to the world? Um, he is, uh, for, sorry, got too far. There we go. Bear with me just a minute. My notes are out of order. That's confusing. Um, there we go. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Does that mean that God created him in some way. It's weird, isn't it? The firstborn over all creation. Maybe God created Jesus first. Is that what that means? Um, That's actually what Jehovah's Witnesses believe, this passage says. Um, But we believe that um, uh, something slightly different because we have to look at the context of the whole verse. Okay, so you can't just stop at that point and think firstborn. That must mean Jesus was created by God because actually it says here um, that it's quite clear by Jesus All things were created. All things were created um, by Jesus. That means in some way he is equivalent to God. 
in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him. No, he was not created. All things were created by him and they were created for him. Everything. Now, Paul goes to some length to uh, talk about all of the things, just to make sure that you're not sure what all of the things means. Okay, um, All of the things means things in heaven and also, so angels, and also things on earth. Visible things and things that are not visible. Uh, thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities. Everything. That means everything. Okay, um, I love the fact that at 3 p.m. on Christmas Day, uh, pretty much every year, our queen goes on television, and quite a lot of people watch that. And uh, she basically talks about how she follows Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed her, her Christmas messages, if you watch those. Um, every year she goes on telly on Christmas Day and talks about how, who Jesus is and why she follows his teachings. And it seems every year she gets a little bit more explicit about that. I think that's awesome. <laughs> um, you know, we kind of take it for granted that our queen, oh yeah, our queen's a Christian. But it's completely awesome that she's a Christian and she recognizes this truth that actually uh, her rule and reign, which is quite important and quite significant, is under um, is in submission to who Jesus is, um, and that's an amazing thing for our head of our country to recognise that truth. You know, not every country has that heritage and has that privilege of having the head of their country, the head of state, recognise the truth about Jesus. Um, now, Paul goes on. If you haven't quite got his meaning yet, he's kind of, he keeps saying it again, basically. He is before all things. Um, he, and in him, all things uh, hold together. That is basically the meaning um, of uh, what Paul was talking about, about firstborn. So the fact is, everything holds together in Jesus. That means that Jesus knits the very fabric of the world together. You could say that he's holding the world together. Um, Paul teaches us that Jesus is in control of history. He is supreme over the Brexit negotiations. Okay, just in case you were worried. He's, extreme over, he's, he's supreme over the government. He's, he's, he's supreme and reigns over our housing crisis in this country. Um, the inaffordability of housing for many, many people. He's supreme and reigns over uh, the North Korea standoff situation. He is supreme and he reigns over Russia over the USA, over Europe, over every country. It's all under him. That's what Paul teaches us here. Um, He is the greatest phenomenon ever to invade the earth. He is in charge. He is bigger than our biggest problem. Far, far, far bigger than it. So what's his relationship to us? He is the head of the world, but he is also the head of us. He is the head of the body, the church, is what he means, uh, Paul means there. He is the head of um, everything that we do as a church here. Okay, I just want to state that, it's important. The, um, sometimes it's easy to imagine, oh, Jesus is in control of history, that's fine. Too big for us to get our heads around, but he's also in charge of this church you know, and we have to listen to him before we do anything. I was t- telling uh, our uh, discipleship year uh, students this year, uh, a couple of Fridays ago, uh, I was doing some teaching and I was saying how basically talking about my ministry failures and, and pretty much after listing them uh, for a while, I realized that really the times in which I have done the least well in anything I've tried to do in church is when I have not listened to God first. I thought, oh yeah, that'd be a good idea. Let's go and do that. Um, it's always a bad idea. I um, put a huge amount of effort when I started um, overseeing and looking after students here. I put a lot of effort in. I did lots of fancy leaflets. I did billboard things. I spent money on 
nice things for Freshers' Fair. We turned up, we smiled at everyone, we handed out hundreds of lollipops. We had a little thing you could sign up. It was great. We put on minibuses, we had food, we had like a whole open house system going on. We had stacks and stacks of people ready to welcome students. That year, we, we, maybe one student joined the church. Um, that was depressing. And, um, and then, actually, I was reflecting on that because you get, basically get one shot when you're working with students. You know, you've got October and then that's it. So um, not quite true, but how it felt. And then when you go uh, through to kind of April or May, you start thinking about next October. And I was thinking, okay, well, maybe what I should do is do more pizza and more minibuses and more freshers. We could do a whole wall of freshers fair. We could do more leaflets. We could do more everything. Um, and then I was uh, reflecting with the, the students of what I actually did, which was kind of by accident to my shame. I was walking to church one day. Um, sometimes it's quite nice to walk from my house to church. And, and I actually thought, maybe I should just pray about what God wants to do with students next year. And, um, and, and he was very clear to me, actually. He spoke to me quite clearly. He said, what I want you to do, Chris, is I want you to go after students who are thinking of abandoning church. I was like, ah, okay. Um, so that gave us a vision. Told the team everyone was excited. We went from there. Um, we were to, I was talking to Chris Laura about what we should do for Freshers' Fair. I stopped myself and thought, okay, maybe, Jesus, I should ask you what, you what we should do. <laughs> and so Chris and I were talking about it, and we were like, you know what we should do is we should just say, if God could do one miracle in your life, what could it be? And just go around praying for people. And that's what we did. 20 students joined the church that year. Uh, interesting that, isn't it? <laughs> you know, and I basically think that, that they joined in spite of myself rather than anything else. But the point is, is that in spite of my own good ideas... Um, Jesus broke through. That is because he is the head of the church. And actually, things don't really work when he isn't the head of the church. And when he is, they do. In everything, he might have the supremacy. Um, Now, what is Jesus's greatest achievement? Um, It's kind of densely contained in this passage. um, But he did come for a clear and distinct purpose. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That means all of God was in Jesus, this, this human, this man, this person. And through Jesus, to reconcile himself, that's God, to all things. Which means that God's plan and purpose was for Jesus to be the reconciler, to be the person that um, basically connected him back with humanity. Things in earth, all things in heaven, so it's even more than humanity in some way, by making peace through his blood on the cross. This wasn't a random jaunt or a good idea one afternoon. He came for us because he loves us, because God loves us. That's why he came. That's why we have Christmas, because he decided to to launch a great rescue mission for humanity. One way of looking at the cross is like a peace offering, making peace, it says here. Now, a peace offering in Jewish times was like a special meal that was shared between uh, the person who was making the peace offering and God. They had like a special food and everything. Um, it's interesting how Jesus, just before he left, gave us this special meal to have as well, where we would remember who he was and what he did. It's like a peace offering. Um, we have these kind of weird things we do, bread and wine and stuff, but they're all there for a reason. You know, The reason that we do this is to remember um, the peace offering that God made to us. Um, At the heart of of Jesus' rescue mission, at the heart of our following Jesus, our trying to follow Jesus, is an idea um, that our nagging guilt that we might experience isn't actually valid because he has paid for it. That's the idea. Because what Jesus did in reconciling us to the Father, that was his greatest towering achievement, reconciliation. So, 
Jesus is the head of the world. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus reconciled and made peace between God and everything else. Now, this Jesus doesn't fit into the world's cozy ideas about Christmas and Easter. Many people have room for the cuddly baby in the manger. Not so many have room for this Jesus in their lives. In fact, I feel like I have to keep making room all the time because <laughs> there's more and more and more room that I need to make um, the more I understand about him. So can I challenge you this Christmas? Instead of wondering how we're going to fit church stuff into whatever else we've got planned, um, let's try and work out how we can fit whatever else we've got planned into Jesus' ideas about Christmas and what that is. Um, and I suggest we'll have a more peaceful, more Christmassy Christmas uh, if we plan now to put him front and centre. Um, now, following Jesus does not mean turning up to church every week. What following Jesus means is a simple submission to say, you know what, I've, I, my life doesn't really fit. It doesn't really work. I'm not feeling great about myself. I'm not feeling great about my uh, preoccupation with myself. Um, what I need is you. What I need is what you did for me in order to kind of help me feel better about myself um, and acknowledge who he is um, and say, you know, I just want to try following you. That's pretty much it. That's all you have to do to start with. It's quite easy, really. Now, this is for myself as much as anyone else. Um, This is important, and this is really what Christmas is about. Now, just to finish, I've I've got a little video, which I've shown here before, but it's so awesome I'm going to show it again. Um, Apologies if you've seen it before, but it is worth seeing again. Perhaps you know, every month. (laughs) This man uh, knew what it was to orient his life around Jesus. Um, And he's a real inspiration to me. His name is S.D. Lockridge. He was a a black American Baptist preacher from um, the South, I think, who died in about 2000. And this is taken from one of his last uh, sermons at the age of 90 odd. He was 90 plus when he gave this sermon. And um, and, uh, they put some kind of um, animation around it as well. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduring strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers 
delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is right. The fact that this king came down at Christmas is frankly incredible. And it takes almost half an hour to get to that point. (laughs) That this wonderful, incredible, supreme, awesome being could find it within himself to be born as a vulnerable baby in a backwater part of the world into a stable to a poor Jewish girl, probably not much more than 16, is just mind-blowing. Christmas can be hard because it's easy to lose sight of hope. Because the things that the world puts around it really don't satisfy. The food, it's nice, but it doesn't satisfy. The family can be really difficult. If we focus on these things, we will ultimately always be disappointed. Whereas if we focus on Jesus and focus on Christmas not being about food, not being about family or anything else, that it's about Jesus. If we lose sight of Jesus, we'll be eternally disappointed by Christmas. But if we fix our eyes on him and focus on him in Christmas, there is nothing that can make it better. Nothing that can make it more Christmassy. Okay. The reason people love Star Wars is because it's about hope. It's a crazy religious story about hope. Um, We have that hope within us. We have that hope already. We don't need to go to a great story to look for that hope. We have that hope in us. The fact that this baby grew up and then his greatest achievement was to reconcile us to God through his death, through dying on a cross, a whole bunch of cosmic significant stuff going on there, which meant that uh, he reconciles us to uh, God so that all of the stuff that we may have done doesn't matter anymore. It's frankly astounding and mind-blowing. And that's the real message of Christmas. Um, so today, I'd, I'd love to issue a challenge for you. Um, why don't you, uh, over Christmas, sometime, we've got a little bit of time off. Usually forget what day it is at some point, day of the week it is. You know, you've got a bit of time off. Um, can I encourage you to read the Gospel of Luke? 
Um, it's got a great bit about Christmas at the beginning, but it's also got some great stories in it. Maybe read it in the message or a different translation that you haven't read it in. And why don't you just sit down and just read that through. If you've got an hour or maybe two, just read as much of it as you can. And just try and get into the story again. It's so easy to forget the story when we take little snippets. Let's just just, just try and read the whole book through, um, if we can. Most of us to make time for a novel or something over Christmas. Why don't we make that our book that we read? Um, and just to really try and remember this story uh, and have it permeate into our lives. Um, so today, in terms of response, I just feel like there are some people here who, for whom Christmas is bad news. This is something that you dread every year, and you have to get through it, and it's going to be okay, but it's, it's really tough. If that's you, I would love um, to spend some time just praying for you that you could recapture what your Christmas really means in your heart. You know, if Christmas is a time of real grief and difficulty for you, I, my heart just bleeds for you, and I just really want you to... Uh, to experience this love and this peace and this hope uh, for your life, even, in, even if you're at the very end of your life, um, as you see it, there is still more for you. There is still more for you. For those of you who watch something like that and something in, uh, rises in your heart, like, I'm not really sure this is true, I have doubt, I have, you know, could God really love me? I'd love to pray for you as well. You know, you want to believe, you want to follow, but you're just not sure. I'd love to pray for you too. And also for those of you who have, have never really given this whole thing a go, you've never, you never thought, okay, what, what would happen if I were just to try and follow this guy's teachings? You know, maybe I should just read a bit more about them and follow them. Maybe I just want to make a decision to do that today. If that's you, I would love um, to do something right now in order to facilitate that. So can I ask you all to stand? Is that okay? And what I'd love to do is just go, I'm going to pray really simply and if you'd like to pray along with me, if you've never really prayed anything before, and you'd just like to maybe give this a go, maybe just try following this, this person, um, then um, let's just spend a minute doing that. And if you are someone who's been doing this a long time, or maybe before you prayed this before, pray it again. can't hurt, and it's always good to recommit ourselves to him. So Jesus, I recognize um, that I don't have it all together, that my life isn't necessarily the way I would want it. I recognize that I need help. And Jesus, maybe I don't know everything and I'm not sure about all the details, but I I just want to try and follow you. I want to make a decision today just to follow uh, in your footsteps, to follow your teachings and to find out what you think about life and more about what you've done, what you say you've done for me. I want to follow you, Jesus. And God, I pray you'd come now and you would help me. I can't do this on my own. I need some help. So if you pray that prayer for the first time, I would love to talk to you today. If that's been a significant prayer for you, come and find me. I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to chat uh, to you some more, maybe give you some stuff to help you. Um, do you want to come back? Isn't that be great?